All right, welcome back, YouTube, to another episode of Jack of All Trades. Again, I'm here with Kaylin and our producer, Sam. And today is the crypto episode, so the basics. So I think we're going to touch on um, how to buy crypto, uh, the exchanges, um, how to trade it, how to invest it. Um, I'm going to get deep into, about maybe halfway through the episode, deep into um, how Bitcoin works, uh, because you should know that as an investor. But we'll start off with the trading portion, because I know a lot of you probably just want to trade this stuff. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, know. I was literally talking to you like two days ago about how to trade it because I didn't even know how. It's kind of like this elusive true. thing where there's so many like knockoffs of it that you can actually trade on, you know, bought like real exchanges like OTCs and NASDAQs and stuff like that. But like nobody knows how to actually buy Bitcoin itself. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, because you're not buying the actual asset, so that's something really important to get to. But um, mm -hmm. Sam, uh, are, are we? Are you on my screen, Sam? All right. So this is Binance. This is the biggest exchange out there right now. Pure crypto exchange by volume. So there, they have a lot of listings. I think up to the thousands now of different types of coins that you can invest into. <clears throat> the problem with Binance is that um, they are registered in Malta, and so they don't have certain licenses that uh, required by US citizens or Canadian citizens to buy with fiat currencies. They're working on it too, though. If you want to see this buy fiat thing, go to um, pay with CAD. This, so they're working on that right now. They're working on getting the, the making it so that you could buy with uh, credit cards. But so far, it's not possible for most people in the Western countries. Um, so especially uh, us as Canadians, what you really want to do is you want to, you want to find an exchange like CoinSquare um, that is a Canadian business. They're registered, they're licensed. Um, they have all the banking and insurance um, things covered. And so you can buy Bitcoin through them by either bank wire or debit transfers or e-transfers. And there's a small fee attached to that, like two bucks per debit or something like that. And uh, so this is your fiat to uh, crypto on-ramp. So, so for, for, sorry, I just want to interrupt you for a second there. For yep. like CoinSquare and like I know the one that I use is called Kraken or Kraken or however yep. you not pronounce it. Um, so like on those two things, like, cause I know, I know with Bitcoin, like the whole idea behind it is that, you know, it's supposed to be untraceable and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Cause people used to buy drugs with it all the time when it was in its infancy. <laughs> so like, there's two ways you can do it, right? Like you can buy, you can buy Bitcoin directly, or you can buy it through say CoinSquare or Kraken, which is like essentially I like call it a bank, I guess for Bitcoin, right? Is that correct? Like, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about this either. That's what I'm kind of asking. Not exactly. Um, you used to be able to buy it directly years ago when there wasn't as much regulation. Okay. Now you kind of, because the governments are starting to realize that they, it's very hard, like you said, to regulate Bitcoin. Um, so the, the only way that they can kind of track to the transactions is if you buy through um, your bank to an exchange that's been uh, regulated. Right. So with yours, for example, like on CoinSquare, so you'll, you'll buy, you know, you, you open a CoinSquare account, you put, I don't know, say 5,000 bucks in, for example, and then you can convert that 5,000 into Bitcoin in CoinSquare. Is that how it works? Yeah. So through CoinSquare, I convert that money to uh, crypto. But then what ends up happening is that now that there's a, um, a, a sort of a paper trail, if the CRA or the government wanted to see what happened to that money, they could see that it went from my bank account to CoinSquare. They could get in touch with CoinSquare, which is regulated under Canadian jurisdiction and say, well, where is this money? Where's this account? And you know, who owns this account kind of stuff? Because when you open it, uh, you have to they go through KYC, know your customer. So then you have to give them your your ID and your information, your address, and do some validations. 
So right. it's, it, it works the same way in the States, right? So if you open like um, a Coinbase account or Gemini account, um, those are also two exchanges I recommend for your Americans. Um, but I use Kraken. Kraken's um, one of the bigger exchanges. I think they're one of the top five exchanges for Bitcoin on the spot markets. And they're, they're registered in the UK. And that's the one I recommended to you. Because mm -hmm. the one good thing about them is they actually took the time and got a bunch of licenses. So you can actually trade euros, Canadian, and um, USD on there. Actual euros, Canadian, USD. So you can, uh, again, connect your bank account, send money there, wire it. And then buy uh, a whole bunch of different cryptocurrencies, and uh, if you wanted to sell, cash out, they'll actually um, deposit back to, directly to your bank account too, uh, just by bank wire. There's a small fee attached to that too, but they're but they're one of the lower fee guys. Okay. And, um, yeah. So what's, and one what's of the, the good logic like on that? Because sorry, I know I know you were saying like yep. with CoinSquare, like you you can't like I shouldn't say you can't, but it's my understanding you can't really actually trade like bitcoin in coin square right because there's just not really enough volume like if you want to like day trade it for example yeah i've tried to trade to trade uh, on coin square it's pathetic if you're trading a hundred dollars maybe a thousand dollars you can get in and out of positions somewhat easily um but if you if you look at the order flow there's already giant gaps in prices right when you right. trade trade on exchanges with high volume and high liquidity there's almost no gap between the buy and sell uh, prices but with coin square man it jumps by dollars mm -hmm. by five tens of dollars so i mean it's kind of the only way legally that we can get into bitcoin right now so you kind of have to bite the bullet that first time to, to buy it um but after that i highly recommend on trading one of the more more liquid uh exchanges uh, let me just pull up and that's what buying is, right so you're so you're basically you're, you're buying the bitcoin through coin square and then you're moving it into your Binance account to do your actual, because you day trade it, right? You have it as a exactly, yeah. day yeah. trading. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. So if you look at the screen here, I've pulled up, uh, this is CoinMarketCap. This is where you go for a lot of the coin information um, in terms of volume. And, and so I pulled up the exchanges tab. So you see Binance right here is the number one. This is just, just the spot market. So we're just trading the actual asset. We're not trading derivatives like futures or options. Just the actual asset. Binance is doing 16 billion in volume in every 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Wabi is um, is in Asia. Coinbase, we know Coinbase. Uh, Kraken, that's the one I'm talking about. So they're top five in Bitfinex. Um, and then I think Bitstamp, or I think Bitsum and Bitstamp, I think these are Korean exchanges. Then you, a lot of Asia, okay, cause these are a lot of Asian exchanges. So the best ones for Americans are probably going to be Coinbase and Gemini. And then... Uh, and. I highly recommend Kraken because they still do quite a bit of, you know, 1.5 billion in volume, right? So this is one of the that, better that's uh, exchanges. Only, that's only hugely relevant if you're actually like like day trading it, right? I mean, if you're just if you're just going to buy it and invest it, it's it's. I mean, it's still nice to have liquidity, but it's probably not as huge of an issue, right? I mean, if you're going to buy it and hold it for 10, 20 years, I mean, you're not really worried about getting out of your position like this second. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, it's just initially, if you're, I mean, it depends on the dollar value you want to buy. If you want to put in like, you know, f you know, probably less than 10,000, buying it from CoinSquare is not a problem at all. And then, but if you want to buy anything more than that, you really want to get on Kraken because if you try to go with a $10,000 order in CoinSquare, you're going to move the market. You're actually going to move the market. Right. So um, uh, well, one thing I got to say about CoinSquare is they do offer concierge service. So if you're a high net worth individual and you have, you want to invest over $100,000, um, you can get into their, their, their upper tier program where you actually have a, um, a person taking care of your account, an account manager for you. Mm -hmm. And then they also allow you to buy uh, OTC. 
so so years ago i actually invested in um litecoin that way and put in quite a bit of money and then um i had an account manager and i wanted to buy a, a lot of litecoin but i didn't want to go on the direct markets because i like i said i would move the markets so you just message them and you, and you tell them i want to buy x amount of litecoin at this price and they'll actually go out and talk to other high net worth individuals and say are you willing to sell at this price and they'll just make an exchange kind of like off the books okay that's interesting so it's, yeah so that, that's one of the really cool services that they they offer and i think that's actually how they make most of their money they, they kind of cater to high net worth individuals right and they have they have the spot exchange but they're kind of doing a lot of exchanges um o, uh, purchases on otc okay all right yeah that's interesting. so that's pretty cool yeah. um so, so for that, your, sorry go on no, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say for your for your actual day trading. So in Binance now, you're you're trading the the Bitcoin futures, right? And that's that's what you're using to to day trade essentially. And then you're earning money in Bitcoin. So then then every every dollar that you earn as you're trading, that's basically just getting converted directly into Bitcoin because you you want to invest in this as well, right? Long term. Yeah. So I'm a I'm I'm what's called a Bitcoin maximalist, and I'll explain that later on. But uh, so I'm investing in Bitcoin for the long term. Just like I invest in stocks for the long term, like I'm looking 5, 10, 20 years out. Uh, and so, excuse me, the Bitcoin that I buy, I put into my, my, I put into, uh, my hardware wallet. I store off exchanges just to be safe. Excuse me. Um, and then I, I, what I do is I put a little bit of my Bitcoin on Binance and I trade the futures. Um, and this is one of the great things about Binance. They offer uh, two futures products, the, a USDT futures product and a, and, a, and a coin product. So the USDT... Um, it's a stable coin. So if you wanted to settle, you want to buy futures contracts and you want your profits to settle in USD, then you trade that product. I want my, my profits to settle in Bitcoin uh, because I just want to accumulate more Bitcoin. So I, I trade the coin product. Um, they're both you know very similar. You're buying futures contracts, but it just depends on what you want to settle in. Right. Um, so every, every dollar you're making, you can either have it paid out in Bitcoin or paid out just in straight cash, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Some people just want to accumulate dollars and I want to accumulate Bitcoin. So it just depends on your, your preference. But then obviously all the money you're making in Bitcoin, you know, if Bitcoin goes up, then that money you just made, it'll it'll just go up and down with the Bitcoin, right? Because it, exactly. it's an investment. Yeah. So it's a little funny because like I'm looking at my account and I, I kind of ignore how much dollar value it's worth. I just want to see what, like I, my, my goal right now is to trade up to one full Bitcoin. <laughs> so right. the, like, so the, the closer I inch to that, the, the happier I am. So yeah, the dollar value you, doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, when you get your results, it's like, you know, you just earned 0.01 of a Bitcoin or whatever. It is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to just fraction my way up. But um, yeah. that's, a good, that's a good thing to touch on, actually, too, that um, Bitcoin is fractional. Actually, all cryptocurrencies are fractional. So you could buy, you know, you could buy $10 worth and that could equate to like 0. 0.00001 Bitcoin. And you can do that. You can't do that with equities. You got to buy a whole share, you know. There, right. there is, for, yeah. Yeah, so there is gonna, fraction. Sorry, go on. No, go ahead, Yeah, I was just gonna no, say, yeah, like, so you could put, you know, like a thousand bucks into into CoinSquare, and you could trade, you know, on on uh, Binance, the Bitcoin futures with a thousand bucks. Just since you wouldn't be trading a Bitcoin, you'd be trading, like you said, point zero 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 one of the Bitcoin or whatever, and then you're just yeah. making that percentage. So if you know if Bitcoin moves one percent, and you have you know a thousand dollars in the position, then you make one percent on your thousand dollar investment. Yeah, so you just made ten bucks. So that's the yeah. other reason I trade on Binance with the with the futures product because because of the leverage you get 125x leverage um, I don't recommend that I play like 100 but um but that allows me to hold larger positions to trade with with very small uh, amount of money in the account so I feel like safer because it's 
you you really don't want to keep a lot of Bitcoin on the um, on the uh, because we were talking about that earlier. Actually, it's good that we bring this up. Um, the Bitcoin that you hold on your uh, on your on your own computer on your own hardware wallets, those are yours. They're in your custody. You have control over it. The Bitcoin that you own on an exchange, the exchange owns those accounts. Um, so I was talking to you about about that story about the one of the OG Canadian accounts where the uh, owner of the exchange supposedly died and he died with the keys. So basically, died. yeah, died. <laughs> with the, very, very questionable circumstances. But basically every customer on there, and I was a customer too, um, uh, can no longer access the Bitcoin that was on that exchange. So this really highlights the difference between ownership. Like when whatever you keep on an exchange in terms of crypto is really not yours. Um, they have the, the control over it. Right. So now, it's, like, now, it's like keeping it in keeping it in a bank is like what we were saying. So it's like, you know, if you have you know, you have a an account with T D or something like that, if you have, you know, ten thousand dollars in your account, you don't you don't actually have that money with you. It's in the bank account, right? So the bank technically yeah. has your money. So the bank, you know, I mean, it's not gonna happen, but if the bank went bankrupt or got hacked or something like that, they could take it from them. It's not actually in your pocket. Yeah, so this is what's really important too. I know some people try to go to one of the smaller exchanges because some uh, somebody's told me this has happened that some uh, uh, Instagram influencer was pimping this exchange. They, they put their money on there and couldn't get it back out. I'm not sure how that story ended up unfolding, but but that's one of the risks you take. So you really want to go with a larger exchange, which who are mo somewhat regulated and also ha are insured. So even if you lose your, even if they lose your money somehow, that they'll be insured. You'll get your, you won't get your Bitcoin back, but you'll probably get the monetary value of that Bitcoin back. Because that right. that has happened with some exchanges too, right? Right. So so I actually got an email from the uh, the lawyers of the uh, of Quadriga uh, just a few weeks ago. They're like they want you they, they wanted us to register and say you know um, that the that the um, that the court case was still working on on trying to unlock that Bitcoin for us to distribute and mm -hmm. whatnot. So and this is like three years after the fact. Yeah, I think I saw an article the other day where there's a guy who said he bought like. He got paid like in Bitcoin like a decade ago for doing some video for some guy or something like that. And he got like 7,000 Bitcoins or something at like $2 a share. So it's worth like hundreds of millions of dollars now. And apparently he can't unlock his account because he forgot his password. So he doesn't have the key for it. So he said he's, yeah. tried, like, he's tried like eight times or something like that. And I think he only gets 10 chances. And then it basically just gets like locked in limbo forever. <laughs> so he's got like this $200 million like fortune that he can't get into because that was before they had things like coin square and stuff where there was actual like call it banks where you could keep your money right it was just basically locked by a username and password hmm uh, i wonder because I, I i i saw that kind of article circulating and i kind of wonder there's something missing there um because when you open up a an actual bitcoin wallet <clears throat> on the blockchain no matter what software you use um when you open up an actual wallet the, the 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 blockchain will spit out a 24 word it's called a mnemonic phrase it's it's unique only to you and every every time you, you create a new account they're going to create that 24 word mnemonic phrase that is your recovery phrase so i've never heard of the blockchain locking somebody out from accessing their account um it's it's most likely the actual software that they're using or the exchange that they're using that's locking them out but if you had that 24 words, um, you could always recover at your account. Um, actually, let me grab my uh, my hardware wallet and I'll kind of explain it a little bit better. Okay.
Yeah, so uh, there are two types of wallets, generally. There's a software wallet and a hardware wallet. So a software wallet would be like a piece of application you install on your phone or your desktop, and that'll access your Bitcoin. That'll access your, your blockchain account for you. Um, so, But this is a hardware wallet. It looks like a USB device. You kind of just plug that into your computer. And the reason it's called a hardware wallet is because um, the high level of security it is, because you got a piece of hardware now. So if you install a piece of software on your laptop, if your laptop gets uh, compromised through a hack, phishing scam, whatever, that software uh, wallet will not provide a lot of protection for you. If they just have to brute force your password and they're in and they can access all your money. Now, what a hardware wallet does is this is uh, married to a piece of software on, that you install on your phone or your laptop. And every time you need to do a transaction, whether it's sending money or receiving money, it'll ask you to plug this in, which requires an eight-digit PIN code to access the wallet to confirm that it's you. And then after um, even putting in the eight digits, every time you do a transaction, it'll show you the accounts that you're going to transfer to and from on the computer. And it'll show those accounts once again on the hardware wallet to confirm that there's, there's, because if you, a laptop got hacked somehow, there's, there's been cases before where if you transfer the money, the hack will change the account by just one digit to their account. Right, so it looks like you're transferring to the account that you want to, but you're actually transferring to the hacker's account. So what this does is it verifies what you see on screen with what you're actually transferring to, and it'll ask you, do these match? And once once you confirm the matches, then you say yes, then it transfers. So it's like right. it doesn't matter if I'm at an airport that's full of hackers that's just you know hacking the shit out of the Wi-Fi that's reading everything I'm doing on screen. As long as I don't, as long as they don't have this. Uh, connected to the computer saying verify with the code that this transaction is okay. They can't do shit. Okay. So how do you, how yeah. do you get one of those then? Like, how does that work? Cause right. Like CoinSquare is your exchange. So how do you go from putting your, putting your money from that into a hardware wall? Like, how do you get one of those? Yeah. So you, you can order, this is um ledger. They're, they're probably the industry standard right now. So I can, my camera can focus on that. Yeah. So ledger, that's the industry standard. Now, this is called the Ledger Nano S. Um, this is an older technology. I also bought the newer one, so it's got Bluetooth. You can do the same thing through your phone now. Um, so you just order one of these from them or from Amazon. They're like 150 bucks Canadian, probably 110 bucks American. And then I, and I rec recommend getting a couple of these. But um, yeah, so once you get one of these things, you'll, you download their software on your laptop or your phone. You create your account. You hook this up, and then you make your, uh, your actual account on the blockchain. <clears throat> so once you buy from Binance or CoinSquare, wherever it is, you take that Bitcoin and you transfer it to your actual wallet via this thing. Okay. And that'll, that'll still show you all the same kind of stats. Like it'll show you, you know, Bitcoin's gone up 10% and it'll show your account's gone up 10% and everything like the same as the exchange would do. You just can't yeah. trade them. Yeah, I think next time I'll, I'll open up my actual ledger thing. Actually, maybe that's probably not safe for security purposes. I might just make a blank. <laughs> I might just make a blank ledger account. <laughs> Yeah, I might just make a blank ledger account and I'll show visually what it shows, but it'll tell you your account balances. And then the good thing about ledgers, it doesn't just hold um, Bitcoin. It, it holds like hundreds of different types of cryptocurrencies. So if you want to hold Ethereum, you want to hold Litecoin, whatever it is, same, right. exactly the same thing. It's just one, one device for all of it. Okay. Um, yeah, so it'll show your accounts. Now, that means you're moving your, your assets off the exchange wallets, which are not in your custody onto wallets that are in your custody. So that's 100% security. Right. And, okay. and so what I was saying about the mnemonic phrase was that people are probably thinking, well, what happens if I lose this thing? What happens if I you know, sit on it and crush it? Well, that's okay, because I have that 24 words um, saved somewhere 
I'm not going to say where. But if I, if I lose this somehow, all I have to do is buy another one. It's a blank slate. When you plug it into the computer again, it'll ask you, are you making a new account or are you recovering an account? I just click recovering an account. It'll ask me to give the 24 words. And suddenly, once again, I have access to everything. Okay. Right. So that's so, the way to keep it like totally safe. And you know, that way nobody can hack you. Nobody can get to the exchange or anything. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it, was, it was a terrible choice of uh, naming when they first invented these things because they're called hardware wallets, software wallets. But this is actually isn't a wallet. There's absolutely nothing on here, right? Your wallet, you actually, you actually put the value in there, right? The, the, right. the, the money. There's nothing here. These, are, these should actually be called keys because yeah. your money yeah. never leaves the, the Bitcoin blockchain. So that's where your wallet is. And this is your key to access that blockchain. So I want right. to just point takes that it out. away from the actual exchange called the bank. <laughs> So that they like, if anything happens to whatever account you're using to trade on it, they can't take your money. Yeah, precisely. So I just want to make sure people understand that because I don't want them to think that your money is now on this piece of device, and if you lose yeah. it somehow, <laughs> you're fucked, right? Yeah, but so, when it's on that, like whatever amount you have on that, you can't trade on the exchange, right? So you could have like you could have say like you know five Bitcoin in your wallet, and you could have one in your in your exchange account, and then you can use that one to to day trade or or whatever, and then your wallet is still invested in Bitcoin. So that's still going up or down with the value of Bitcoin, but you can't trade with that sum of, sum of money. You can only trade with the, the one Bitcoin that you keep on the exchange, which is technically at a higher risk for being hacked or something like that. Not that it's going to, but right. it's just quite as secure. Yeah, that's exactly how I do it. My, my holdings are actually on the blockchain and I just put a very small fraction of my holdings on Binance. I use the leverage and I just kind of trade that up and down. So yeah. for me, that's the best you know bit of security because when you have something on an uh, on an exchange you have so many levels of vulnerabilities whether it's my computer getting hacked whether it's their their computer getting hacked just somewhere along the way something could happen mm -hmm. um and then so i want everybody to think about like whatever you leave on an exchange almost keep it in the back of the, your head that it is possible less probable now but possible that you could end up losing that money through some kind of hack or attack right right yeah it's probably a lot more common at the beginning because there were so many new exchanges that were just garbage all kinds of stuff going on. They don't really know how to regulate it, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I've actually been on three exchanges now that have either been hacked or was some sort of scam, and the owners left with the the money. So, I personally, I've been on three of those now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so, I've suffered some losses. <laughs> so that so yeah, I I speak from experience. <laughs> yeah, very painful experience. Yeah. So actually, this is another good point that I want to bring out that um. If you listen to a lot of the talking heads on TV that talk about, well, Bitcoin is kind of like, you know, not, not a highly regulated asset. There's scams attached to it. And there's all this hacks happening. Like, how do you prevent hacks? How do you prevent hacks? Is it secure? Right. There's a, there's a few things I want to correct because I just saw CNBC talk about that last week saying that, you know, well, how do you secure it from being hacked? I'm like, well, Bitcoin, I want to I want to state that Bitcoin blockchain has never been hacked. It's been attempted, but it's never been hacked and it probably never will be hacked at this point. Um, we can go into technicals later on why, but it's never been hacked. What has been hacked are people's actual accounts. So, like, there's some vulnerabilities with this that was exploited before. Um, so you could kind of do some hacks to the laptop. The exchanges can be hacked, um, but the actual blockchain cannot be hacked. Right. So, like, as far as like investment goes, like I know, like we're you know we're talking about how to day trade it and stuff like that, which you know kind of goes into the standard day trading patterns. Like I know you're looking. You're looking at a lot of the same stuff that I do and you're playing, I think, mostly on the, the one hour candles, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I, I've been looking into that, too. And, like, I, I see a lot of the same patterns that I day trade. So, like, that's how you would go about day trading. But as far as, like, 
as far as a long-term investment, like, like, like for me, I, I like the idea of it just because like when I think about it from an outside perspective, outside meaning, I don't know a lot about the fundamentals and the technicals because like, that's just not my area of expertise. Um, but like the thing I like about it is because like right now the whole world's economy is so heavily weighted on the U S dollar. Like everything's related back to the U S dollar. I think the, the idea behind Bitcoin that's really appealing is that it kind of it, like it makes everything universal. Like, you know, you could be in, you could be in Europe, you could be in Africa, you could be in Canada, you could be anywhere. And like your Bitcoin is a level dollar value across the world. Right. So it, it kind of, it kind of just evens out that whole playing field where if something bad happens to the U S economy, it would have much less of an of a global impact where right now everything's valued off that. So for me, like that's the most appealing aspect of it, I think, for a long term investment. Um, like I'm not what, what are you looking at specifically? Like, is there is, is there kind of like some main points you, that you like about it? Yeah, you, you actually just touched on two of them that, that are that are really good um, appeals to Bitcoin. So one it's that I, I imagine a day where things will be denominated in Bitcoin. So, to, you know, today, if you go to on vacation to Costa Rica, you kind of ask how much is that in American dollars, right? Because everything's yeah. de denominated in American. I imagine a day where you're, you're going to be asking how much is that in Bitcoin. Um, right. And I can go into why I think that is later. But the other thing I wanted to touch on was exactly what you were saying. Like, you can go anywhere in the world and access your Bitcoin, right? If you were to move to Bangladesh tomorrow, how much in your Canadian account could you move there and how fast and how easily, you know? And if you were to go to Pakistan and you're trying to move, you know, $50,000, you might get someone, get on some terrorist list, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> legitimately, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, right. So it's like, that's what, that's the problem with Bitcoin or uh, fiat currencies that the people don't understand. A lot of people don't understand the money you hold in your bank account is not yours. It's actually not yours. It's not under your custody. It's not under your control. But if another person on the other end of the phone suspects something with your account, you could they could freeze it. If they make a mistake and push the wrong button, it's frozen, right? If you know, if the if the Canadian government or the American government, the IRS or the CRA decides that you haven't paid your taxes, they just freeze your account. Yeah, right? but your your money is really not yours. Whereas with Bitcoin, anywhere you go in the world, as long as you have access to the internet, you can access your your savings. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if we get to a point in the world where there's, you know, everywhere accepts Bitcoin or, you know, Bitcoin visa cards or whatever is going to happen. Like, you know, I think about even if you go on vacation, you know, like I, I go down to, you know, I go down to the Caribbean for a week long vacation. You know, I got to go to the store. I got to take out, you know, 2000 bucks American, you know, converted from Canadian. Got to take that cash over there. You got to claim it going over the border. I got to make sure I don't lose all that cash. Like, you know, I'm carrying all this change around while I'm on the beach, you know, all those kind of like inconveniences. So like, Bitcoin's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, okay, you know, just hop out, let's go, don't worry about it. You just have all your money right on the card, so I can go in a restaurant, just use my card like normal, right? Yeah, um, that's a really good point too. So this is one of the reasons uh, Bitcoin has uh, experienced really strong growth in the last few months. Um, they experienced a really strong rally a few months ago when PayPal came out and said that they're going to now allow their merchants, something like eighty something million users and merchants, to accept and transact in Bitcoin. Right. So if you're a Bitcoin investor, you can put your money on PayPal, then you can just buy anything via PayPal. So, I mean, I mean, that's one of the biggest arguments until this point, up to this point about uh, Bitcoin was that they're like saying, oh, well, it may be a store of value, but you can't use it as a currency because where can you spend it? Right. right. But now with PayPal accepting it, with um, Square Cash App using it, um, even Visa just recently said that they will now uh, allow companies to use visa branded credit cards to spend um crypto now or bitcoin right right i actually yeah. have one let me let me grab that real quick okay okay so this is actually from crypto.com this is one of the first crypto visas that have actually been approved 
Um, especially for us Canadians, we, we seem to get the last of everything, but we are the first to get um, this credit card, um, which is not in this box. <laughs> right back. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I'm just pulling out this Visa branded credit card right here. Um, it's actually metal, which is pretty cool, but you can see it's got the chip um, and it's Visa branded. It's got the numbers in the back, just like a regular credit card. And then so what you could do is you could load your cryptocurrency on here and then it'll convert it to Canadian or USD, whatever it is you want to spend it. And then just anywhere that accepts Visa, you just tap it. And you can spend your crypto. Yeah, that'll be very oh. handy. Yeah. <laughs> so the argument that you can't use it anywhere is just it's 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 non-existent now. Yeah. I also just like to point out that we were supposed to record this episode at four o'clock today, and I got a text from David at three thirty in the afternoon saying he just woke up. <laughs> that's why he's trying away to forget things. Yeah, it's one of the bad things about uh, crypto. It kind of trades twenty four seven, so you kind of lose yeah, track of time when you're trading. Addiction problem. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking quarantine problems, my friend. Yeah, no kidding. Um, All right. So, so on your on your Visa card there, then. So, how does that work? Like, you just you basically just plug that into your computer to put money on it, or like, do you open a bank account online and you just transfer from your wallet directly to it? Is it the same kind of process as like a regular bank? Or uh, no, it's actually not a bank. It's actually so these guys do have a banking license. I wish it had their name on it, but they're called If you go to just crypto.com, yeah, that's the name of the company. And what you do is, um, I'm using their phone app right now. That phone app has actually quite well uh, developed. Um, there's, they actually have an exchange function on there too in trading. So if you just want to trade via their exchange, you can do it too, and it has pretty decent volume. Okay. But um, but from that exchange, you can also move money into your visa because this is basically a prepaid visa. Right. So you move money onto there, and then you convert it to CAD or USD, and you just put it on here, and you can trade it. But no, you don't need a bank account. You just download the app, register. There's no KYC. Oh, is there KYC? Actually, yes, there is. You do have to send in your ID and proof of address. So they want to know your identity. Um, that's probably for the exchange portion of it. But yeah, you, you can just make an account. It's pretty simple. Everything's online. And then um, I'm one of the first people that got this because I registered like almost a year ago. But mm -hmm. uh, but we're approved for Canada now. So Canadians are able to get these right now. Okay. So when you put the money on there, like let's say you want to put, you know, I don't know, $20,000 worth of Bitcoin on there. As soon as you put that on there, will it still fluctuate with the price of Bitcoin or just like what you take out, it stays there, and that's the value. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, the Bitcoin you you hold onto their exchange will fluctuate with the market, but as soon as you want to spend it, you have to convert. You have to do a conversion. So okay. I have about a hundred. So I have about a hundred bucks on here that I just did as a test. So I converted a um, hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, hundred dollars in Canadian worth of Bitcoin um, onto here. So I can only spend that hundred dollars. Now, if I want to spend more, I just go on the app. I do another conversion. Whatever the price is at today it'll do that conversion and then that's what's loaded onto this credit card okay so do you have to when you pull it onto the credit card are you pulling it on in canadian dollars or pull it on in american dollars or or do you basically just pull the money into that and then you can go to the states or you can go to europe and you just swipe it and it'll just take it out in the value in like euros or american dollars or or does well, it have to be like pulled off in that currency i think it has to be pulled off in that currency so right now i have exactly 100 dollars of canadian but you could choose um, if I remember correctly, in the app, you can choose what the, what um, what fiat type you want to convert it into. Okay, so if, if you went to like if you went to the states, could you still use that? Like even like you oh, put yeah. Canadian on it, but it would like you know if you spent seventy dollars American roughly, then it would just it would just you'd have zero bucks. Wipe it out, yeah, yeah. Probably oh. like it's like seventy five bucks, seventy eight bucks American right now. It'll just wipe it okay. out, and then you've got to convert it again. So, 
but right. but that but but on that end, the fiat end, it's not them doing the transaction; it's Visa, so it'll just act exactly like a Visa. Okay, okay. So it's basically it's literally just a credit card for your your Bitcoin. But the, obviously, the important thing is that if you're if you're doing it for investment, you don't want to hold all your money on there because then if Bitcoin goes way up, the value on that card isn't going anywhere. The value that you converted to fiat won't go anywhere. You can keep right. crypto on here, and then you can that'll fluctuate with the markets. But as soon as you do that conversion, that's when you you may lose or gain value. Okay, so how so how does that work? Like if you had, you know, let's say we you go to a place where you can you can use that Visa card to spend actual Bitcoin. Like, can you have multiple currencies on there? Like, can you have you know five thousand dollars in Bitcoin and five thousand dollars in you know Canadian dollars on there? Yeah, so it actually works in two functions. There's the the Visa part, and then there's the exchange part. Whatever you hold on the exchange will just continue to fluctuate with the market. So the crypto, so whether that's Ether or, crypto or Bitcoin or whatever. And as soon as you want to spend it, just go on the app and say, I want to move 0.001 Bitcoin, which is like 300 bucks over onto Canadian. And then now suddenly you can spend the Visa portion. It's got 300 bucks Canadian. And that's the part that won't fluctuate. Okay. So that, that would almost be kind of like another safe way to keep your keep your money outside of the exchange as well then, right? Like it's same as like kind of your hardware wallet. Uh, kind of depends on how much you trust crypto.com uh, okay. because they're the, because now they're the custodians of that money that you keep on their exchange. Um, but yeah. they do, but they have, I've been following their progress though. They're, they have gotten all the proper regulations and they're probably insured as well. So um, okay. the, the only problem with the insurance portion of it is like, and this is an in, in, in old story is that let's say you lost $10,000 in Bitcoin today on an exchange, right? And Bitcoin today is like 37,005. Usually by the time, and let's say the exchange get hacked and you lost all that money. Yeah, usually the, the, you, you, they'll, they'll go through the proper process of you know going to the courts and the insurance and everything. But by the time you get paid out, it's probably a year or two years from now. Your Bitcoin to your two years from now might be worth 100, 150K, but you're only getting back the money that you, the value lost at the time that you lost it. So you're getting back $30,000, whereas everybody else is sitting pretty with their hundred thousand dollar bitcoin right right but if it went the other way then it would work out for you that's right <laughs> that's right that's right crash, you have all these guys freaking out they got no money and you're sitting there like oh i still got thirty thousand in bitcoin <laughs> that's a very good point yeah yeah that's right that could happen too yeah so um do what you, what you want to thing anyways i want to ask you about that oh so that's a really good question that's one of the beauties and dangers with bitcoin um you have a hundred percent custody uh, so that means if you lose your wallet, you lose your keys, you lose whatever, there's no Bitcoin CEO, there's no Bitcoin support, there's no Bitcoin service that can recover your money. There's actually, I don't know, nobody knows what the total value is out there, but by estimates, there's tens of billions of dollars in Bitcoin right now that are probably lost forever because mm -hmm. people left them on a laptop and the laptop is gone or hard drive or just, just through different methods of losing your access to that Bitcoin. There is, there's tens of billions of dollars in, in Bitcoin that's now in accounts that no one has access to anymore. That'd be right. really unfortunate. So that super sucks. And I know that's probably making a lot of people sweat because they're like, oh, what if? But the problem is that's exactly why, what Bitcoin was designed for was so that no one could have access to your Bitcoin. It's not a flaw. It's a feature, mm -hmm. right? Because we learned in the financial crisis, and this is how Bitcoin was created. It was created directly after the financial crisis to address the issues is that what happens if your money's in a bank and the bank decides to gamble with your savings and they lose it? Well, there goes your, there goes everything you own, mm -hmm. right? And this is a first world problem. Now, if you look at a third world country where like Venezuela, they are, they are suffering hyperinflation right now. 
right. you have your money in a bank account and the government decides to print 10x what the, the float used to be yesterday and suddenly your $100 buying power yesterday is now worth $10 today, mm. right? And that causes people to do, go on a bank run, right? The, it happened in India just a few years ago as well where the government suddenly decided, I can't remember what denomination they wanted to get rid of, but they wanted to get rid of like $100 bills or, or whatever it was and that caused a bank run. Of uh, people going to the banks and changing that money for for their value, and they didn't have it, and so people, a lot of people, lost a lot of money that way. So right. it really highlights how dangerous the banking system we have right now is, because you don't have control of the float via inflation, and you really don't have control of whatever you leave in their custody. Yeah, right. I, so, I think that just highlights the importance of having your money in like a bunch of different places, right? You know, like have some in the banks, have some in you know a bunch of different banks, like. You know, like me personally, you know, like I have money and I have a couple different trading accounts. I have three different banks. Like I got my money all over the place. It's like it's, you know, it's the same old story. You never want to have any everything tied up in one spot because if you lose that one spot, you know, same thing in business. Like you don't want to have everything relying on one customer. If you lose that one customer, your whole business falls apart, right? Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a really good point. You really want to um, spread your wealth out a little bit. Like don't put your, all your eggs into one basket. Mm -hmm. So... So I think a good thing for people that want to invest in Bitcoin is just put a small portion of your investable um, wealth into Bitcoin and just keep it on the side kind of as a hedge against inflation um, or like to diversify your, your investment portfolio kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. Where, are you see, where are you seeing this thing going? Because like I've seen stuff where, you know, people are saying, oh, it's going to be 150,000 by the end of 2021. Like some people are saying it's worthless. Like, you know, you got guys like, you know, like Warren Buffett, who thinks it's, you know, he thinks it's garbage, but I mean, you know, his credit, he's the best in the world, but he does, I don't think he fully understands it because he's so old school. Right. And then you have like some of these newer guys who are thinking it's great. So like, there's so many, there's so many different sides of the coin. I mean, like, you know, someone as an investor, what are you, what are you really looking at? Like, what are your projections? Like, is there, is there news of like big things coming out or like, where are we seeing this thing going? Do you think? Yeah, so uh, super, super good question. Um, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, so Bitcoin um, is looked at as an investable asset today, but what a lot of people don't realize is that it's an, it's an investable asset, but it's also a technology. Because the price of Bitcoin continues to increase. That's all where the focus is. But Bitcoin is, Bitcoin's blockchain, from my opinion, is, is what people should be really looking at, right? Um, the, the, the hard thing about trying to um, evaluate Bitcoin from a fundamental perspective is it's the, the question that old school people are always asking, like Warren Buffett, is what's its intrinsic value? It's just mm -hmm. made up, created digital money. At least gold has some physical existence, right? Yeah. And, and so basically the value is whatever people believe it to be kind of, right? So that's the argument against it. Well, my, my answer to that as well, isn't that the same thing with gold? It's just... I mean, what do you, what the hell do you use gold for? Like, it's just the value okay. that you assign to it, right? I was it's literally just thinking, demand. as soon as you said it has like an intrinsic value, it doesn't really mean anything as gold popped into my head right away. But then I was like, but gold's actually real. Like it, I could hold gold. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can't, like Bitcoin, it's, I, I know what you're saying. It's the same idea, but like Bitcoin doesn't exist. Like they're like, it's not like I can sit here with a big coin and say, this is a Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So, uh, but it's the I, same I mean, idea. Like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, like you find this shiny rock, you find a big diamond. It's like, what does the world think that big shiny rock is worth? That's what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, look at the, the I mean, the diamond industry is corrupt as hell. Like the price of diamond is held up artificially, right? 
the mining more of it they're just storing it so so it's like see so the old school guys giving the whole lecture about there's no intrinsic value or, or whatever it's like it's kind of bullshit you just it just it's just an i think it's just a generational gap where you have to get past the thing about physical ownership right i, I kind of had that issue with mp3s i used to collect tons of mp3s i have a collection of like thousands right and then it, it took me a long time to get to the point where i'm just trusting streaming now i'm like you mean i don't own it i have to keep paying the subscription but it's just like a mental block. You're like, what, what does it mean that I'm holding thousands of MP3s on my hard drive or I'm just streaming it? It really doesn't mean anything from a utility functional perspective, right? Like, right. You, and that's why I say like the blockchain portion of Bitcoin is what's important because that's that's the value there. As long as the blockchain exists, Bitcoin will continue to have value, right? Mm. It, um, it could end up being one of those things too. Like I know it kind of even happened like during this crash in 2020, right? Like normally when you have a big market crash, like everybody takes their money out of the markets, they put it in bonds, they put it in precious metals, you know. So anytime you see like a big recession, you always see the price of gold, this price of silver, bonds, like all that stuff goes up. But this time is when, you know, it kind of kicked off the Bitcoin thing. Like when we had this big crash now, it seemed like a lot more people like, you know, maybe maybe newer investors, younger people are not going the gold route and the bond route. They're going the Bitcoin route. Right. So maybe that'll become kind of like that new intrinsic safety net, essentially, for lack of a better yeah. term. Yeah, there's a lot of old school investors now, like um, uh, um, what's his name, Druckenberg, Steve Druckenberg, I think his name is. There's a lot of old school investors now that have started to put their wealth into Bitcoin, as like you said, as an inflation hedge, kind of um, anti anti recession kind of thing, and they're calling it like gold 2.0, right? Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> and so a lot of the the reasons why Bitcoin is pumped in all the 2020s because the U.S. government keeps printing money. So as long as you keep devaluing the currency, you start to look around and think, well, what can we put our money in that can't be diluted? Right. Right. Shares and equities can be diluted. You know, um, gold, honestly, it's rare-ish, but every day gold's being mined. Yeah. But the reason I think that goes up is because it's like it's everywhere, right? Like when you look at a recession, like I don't want to say it's, you know, it's, it's country-based because really like – you know, it's the same thing. The States really hits the whole world, basically, because the whole world's valued on the U.S. dollar. But that's why everything goes into gold is because there's gold all over the world and it's it's the same value. Right. So like people start putting their money in that. It's the same idea with Bitcoin is like, you know, we could be having a recession in Canada or a recession in the United States. And if you have your money in Bitcoin, the idea is it's going to be essentially unaffected by the recession. Right. Whereas if you have your money in the markets, in stocks or even in your bank account, you know, it's going to be affected by the recession. Yeah, uh, Bitcoin is is being called as an uncorrelated asset, and there's a lot of Bitcoin haters that, that go out there and just say, "No, Bitcoin is correlated. It it falls and rises with the stock market." And you could find specific points in time, like March 2020, when everything crashed. That Bitcoin crashed with everything else. Right. But if you look at it as a whole in the 12 year lifespan of Bitcoin, and you look at its price action versus any other asset, it is uncorrelated. Yeah. And so for for those fund managers uh, you're talking about, the pensioners, whatever. It's looking like a very useful um, diversification tool. Uh, Fidelity actually came out with a report, I think in November. So Fidelity runs like $10 billion assets under management. They're one of the oldest funds out there. And they ran a report and they said they compared what a portfolio would look like if you had an equal breakdown um, of you know stock. If you, if you had a breakdown of stocks and bonds with 1% exposure in Bitcoin, 3% uh, exposure in Bitcoin, and no percent exposure in Bitcoin. And both the portfolios over the lifetime of Bitcoin, the last 12 years, the ones with 1% one, one and 3% exposure to Bitcoin did significantly better than the one that didn't have any exposure. 
<laughs> so, right. So from an old school investing perspective, um, just if you're a diversification kind of guy, just putting a small percentage of allocating a small percentage of your portfolio to Bitcoin, you're going to see better returns over time. Right. I got to play the flip side of the coin a little bit on that, though, just because like I'm just thinking, you know, like 2017 is really when Bitcoin like became known for lack of a better term. Right. So if you're saying, you know, it started what in 2010, 2009, something like that. 2008, it was created 2009. I think it was launched. Yeah. So like, you know, you're looking at it back then. I mean, it's it was like nobody knew about it for the longest time. It was just kind of like flying under the radar. Right. So it's like for me, it kind of it's kind of hard to say, like, you know, in the past decade, it hasn't really followed the stock market ups and downs. But, you know, it really hasn't been in everybody's eye on the stock market for like the last three years. Right. So, like, I'd I'd be more curious to see how like the next few years plays out to get a really good handle on that. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah that's a fair it's point. A it's still it's, it's still in, in, in its infancy. Um, but that's where you have to look at it from the perspective of technology at this point, right? Like from just an asset, just an investable asset, everything you said is correct. And basically all the concerns are there. But mm -hmm. then the, the, the super interesting about Bitcoin is a piece of technology. Like I, I would, I would love to see somebody call a gold bar technology. Yeah. It, what is it? What does it do? Fuck it all, right. Right. But Bitcoin, uh, the blockchain has a lot of very interesting applications. Uh, that are being built on right now. Um, my favorite is called Colored Coins. So okay. it's uh, it's still not, it hasn't been implemented yet. They're still kind of working out how it will work. But so I should start off. One Bitcoin can be divided by into 100 million units. So like you can divide $1 into 100 pennies. You can divide one Bitcoin into 100 million units called Satoshis. Right. And so this has a lot of um, useful implications with regards to Colored Coins. You can color color the Satoshi with a piece of information. Nothing big. It's not like Ethereum where it's an actual smart contract. You put a lot of um, um, a lot of a lot of information on there, but you can put on some uh, some little bits of information like ownership, like property ownership, right? Whether it's a house, it's a home, it's a car, whatever it is. Like they're they're talking about using Bitcoin blockchain to issue shares in a company. Hmm. Now, why would you do that? It's because the blockchain is 100% verifiable by anybody at any time. It's, 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 you could just go on the, 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 the blockchain and just read the data. You can't change it, but you can read it. So it's verifiable at any given time. And the big selling feature that has always been uh, with Bitcoin, especially with the early adopters, is that it's decentralized. So again, there's no Bitcoin CEO, no Bitcoin organization. There's nobody that can change these things. Right. Right. So when you have a ledger, basically a database that is under no one's control, that is under no one's ownership, that is unhackable, suddenly the information you could put on there is completely trust. You can trust it. Right. That's why they call it a trustless system, because you don't need to trust. I don't need to, if I'm doing a transaction with you, I don't need to trust you. As long as the system works, I, I can trust it to, to, to take place. Right. Right. So imagine a future where we're doing a transaction where. I'm buying a home from you. So your home, that, that ownership is, is implemented into a, uh, imprinted into a Satoshi, right? And I, of course, own Bitcoin, right? If we do that transaction, what do we need a lawyer for? What do we need bankers for? What do we need contracts for? Because right now we have a lot of third-party uh, issues, right? It's called counterparty risk. I don't know you. You don't know me. We're trying to do a high, you know, high, trans high transaction value thing. And so we have to put all these intermediaries in there, you know, the banks to verify I have the money, the lawyer to verify the banks verified it, you know, it's the whole system, right? 
But if right. everything's already verifiable on the blockchain, then I look at your account and I say, oh, yep, you do indeed own that house. You look at my blockchain and I say, oh, you, I, I do have that money. We just write a simple smart contract, if then, then that. So if I transfer you your money, then you transfer me the ownership of the, uh, the home. And suddenly it opens up the door to a lot of things. Because if you think about it, most of the world exists, most of the businesses in the world that exist are based on counterparty risk to verify this, verify that. That's why lawyers exist. That's why banks exist. Agents right. exist. Because we don't trust each other, basically, fundamentally, right? But if we start to move these assets, proof of ownership onto Bitcoin, the, the blockchain, then suddenly it changes the entire system, changes the game. Hmm. It's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's so this is what I mean about looking at Bitcoin from a technology perspective. It has so many different applications and use cases uh, looking forward in the future. Mm -hmm. There's another piece of technology called Lightning. It's been launched now for a little bit. It's still growing, but it's um it's been launched already. And it's basically a layer of service built on top of Bitcoin. And so one of the biggest um, complaints about Bitcoin in the past was that a mine, a block is mined every 10 minutes. So if we do a transaction right now, it takes 10 minutes for that block to be mined, and it takes a certain amount of time for that for that to be confirmed. And so people are like, well, if we're trying to spend, you know, if, we're, if I'm buying a cup of coffee, um, it's not a really big deal. But if I'm spending 10, 20, 100, 100 million dollars on, mm. on some kind of transaction, and it takes 10 minutes for that to mine, it, it kind of sucks. It's slow to verify, right? I want something instant. People are used to Visa and debit cards. Right. So what Lightning does is it solves that issue. Um, the transactions actually take place on a second layer called the Lightning Network. And so the value of the assets being traded on the Lightning Network is, is, is tethered to Bitcoin, but it's not actual Bitcoin, right? And so you could do like really fast transactions that rival Visa. Okay. Right. Hmm. So, so, you know, looking at Bitcoin from an investing perspective and comparing it only as Bitcoin 2.0 or, or gold 2.0, you're like, Yes and no, I see case, you know, the use case for both sides. But when you look at it as a technology and you look at the adoption curve of all technology being an S-curve and us being on the, just the low end of the S, then you wonder what happens when all the technology is built out and you're on that giant upride. Right. So you're almost right. seeing Bitcoin as like, you're, you're thinking of it almost like the growth potential is, is because of its fact is it's a technology, not even because it's just a currency. Because, you know, like I'm thinking, you know, people saying this thing's going to 150,000 or 300,000 or whatever it's going to go to at the end of the day if it is really just you know a, a dollar a coin how does it how does it hold that much value but if it has all this technology bias behind it then there's obviously going to be more and more stuff that can keep adding to it and it's basically going to be like a product that can grow yeah that's exactly it if you're just looking at it as um from the perspective of it being a gold replacement i can still make it the argument that it'll be uh get to 100 thousand quarter million something like that but it's it's much easier to make that argument by saying it has that plus the technology portion of it right because it's, it's just software so people can because as long as there are smart people out there who've got great ideas and want to innovate they can figure out a way to use bitcoin for another another perspective right the basic yeah. principle of bitcoin is that or the blockchain is that you have a database that's unhackable just imagine what could you could do with that you have a database that's unhackable Right. Is there, is there any fear of it becoming like overly diluted? Like, you know, like we were just talking about diamonds, for example, like, I mean, I know there's a lot of diamonds out there, but you know, all the banks store them to keep, you know, to keep the, the amount of them artificially low. So it keeps the price artificially high. Like, is there any, is there any fear that, you know, Bitcoin, 
that there's going to be a point where there's just so much of it out there that it just kind of becomes overinflated and it, you know the value starts to fall or is there going to be like a set number of them and then that'll just go up and up and up yeah thanks for bringing that up actually i, I should have said that earlier there's only ever going to be 21 million uh, units of bitcoin ever mind and actually we just we just experienced that in 2020 um it's called the having so every four years the rewards that miners get for bitcoin get dropped by half okay <clears throat> excuse me so over time there's going to be less and less bitcoin going into the money supply right so yeah so one it is a limited asset and it'll be even more limited by the fact that every four years you're going to get less of it so they're called block rewards and each year miners get uh, each four years the, the the block rewards get halved so there's 90 bitcoin mined every day right now with all the hash power you know four years from now there could be even less 45 maybe less right so there's gonna be less bitcoin going into the, the the supply and then there's critics out there saying well what if it's just software right what if somebody can go in there and program it to make more money? that's not that's not actually how it works yeah, yeah. you yeah, can't so actually it doesn't have you know it's not going to be flooding the market or anything like that they can't print more they can't print more money and overinflate it right yeah that's one of the that's another one of the beautiful things about bitcoin is that um because it's community-based um yes i as an independent developer can just go up there and write a Bitcoin where we say, we're going to create 84 million units. And instead of a block being mined every 10 minutes, it's going to be two and a half minutes. Right. And I can implement that software. But the problem is if nobody else runs that software, then it's useless because the miners and the nodes on the blockchain have to agree to all run the same version in order for the blockchain to continue. Okay. Right? So I can go on there and I could write my version and I could run my own node. I can run my own mine. But if I'm the only idiot running that software, then I'm not really a part of the chain. Mm -hmm. And what I described just now, the 84 main uh, units and the 2.5 minute block time, it's actually called Litecoin. So a guy named Charlie Lee years ago looked at Bitcoin and said, I think we could do so. We can make a silver. We can make something that's a little bit cheaper, a little bit lighter, more available. And so he took the Bitcoin code, made those modifications and a few others, and he called it Litecoin. And so right. this is in the Bitcoin community, this is called a fork. So the Bitcoin chain continues and he changes the software at this point in time and it splinters off into a fork and it starts to, and so there's two lines now happening. So his is called Litecoin and yours and the original is called Bitcoin, right? So the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that the best ideas win because in order for the, the idea to be implemented, the entire community has to agree, we like this, mm -hmm. right? And one of the fundamental things about Bitcoin that's beautiful is that we only want 21 million units ever. Right. Right. So if the, so if the whole community says no, then it will, you'll never have more. So there's no person that can go on and say, oh, let's change it. No. Yeah. It just yeah. Won't happen. I mean, you'd have to, right? Because if you had, if you started having more, you had that risk of getting more, then it just turns it into a normal currency. And then it's, it becomes almost irrelevant for what it's designed to do. Like exactly. it just becomes, it becomes the dollar. And all of a sudden, you know, you can print more. And, it, you know, if it's worth $100,000 and they just print, you know, another 10 million, all of a sudden your $100,000 is worth, you know, you know, 60 or whatever the hell it is. So it becomes yeah. irrelevant. And that just defeats the whole purpose. Yeah, exactly. And um, so Satoshi, the person or the group that designed Bitcoin, designed it beautifully. They thought like years ahead and they thought about all the game theory about it. And like, what if this and what if that, uh, you know, how do we deal with these situations? And, um, and so they wrote it all into the code so that the, the game theory economics of Bitcoin work such that um, it will maintain being rare. And the miners are rewarded currently by mining the blocks and so the question becomes well what happens in the future when there's no more bitcoin to be mined what incentives do the miners have to continue 
running the blockchain because they're not getting block rewards anymore, right? Well, there's transaction fees as well. And unfortunately, it's become a negative now where definitely Bitcoin will not become a currency because uh, I think as of a few days ago, it cost about seven bucks to run a, um, a medium speed Bitcoin transaction. Right. Okay. So if you're buying a five dollar coffee and you're getting seven dollars yeah. transaction, yeah. you're not that's not gonna happen, right? So right. Bitcoin is increasingly gonna be used for large settlements. So definitely for investing, right? You're yeah. investing tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, a seven dollar transaction is nothing, right? Right. Um but um but yeah, so but the fees are what's gonna continue to pay the miners in the future. So okay. as the value of Bitcoin increases, the fees are gonna increase um in percentage in, you know, in, in sidestep with it. And so yeah. it's the transaction fees that's going to pay the miners. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know a lot of that stuff. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of people just want to trade it, so they don't really look deeply into it. Yeah, that's why I want right. to touch on that at the start because that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, actually, do you want to go into that? Because I know you just made a Binance account, and uh, and you're you're going to get into trading the futures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I finally, I finally talked you into it. Two weeks, and I'm sitting there, and the market closes at four, and you're sending me all these things like, "Oh, I just made this sweet trade." It's like eight o'clock at night, and I'm sitting there like, <laughs> closed. <laughs> yeah. And especially for you, right? Because you you work certain hours during the day, so when you are free, unfortunately, the markets are closed nights and weekends, right? Yeah. So it'd be nice to be able to leverage your your ability and your skills to trade something during the time that you're actually available, since you're not yeah, full time well, trader. <laughs> I really like about it is like what we said earlier on is like you know i'm i could throw like five thousand bucks into it or whatever and get you know x percentage of a bitcoin but then i could just trade that on the futures so like for me you know i'm looking at it as like a worst case scenario situation like you know my my um exchange gets hacked or something horrible happens or whatever like if i'm just going to put five thousand bucks in there and then i just day trade and i just trade my way up to having you know as many bitcoin as i can manage then really my only investment is that initial $5,000. It's not like I'm taking a huge lump sum of money that I've made and dumping it in there, right? I can take a little bit in there and then just trade it and chip away at it and just, and just grow it and grow it and grow it like that. That's kind of why I like the idea of it. Like, it'd be like, you know, if we had, uh, you know, you're, you want to invest long-term in, you know, say CIBC, like a bank or something like that. Like I can't put, you know, a thousand bucks in CIBC and trade CIBC and make more CIBC shares for myself. <laughs> if only, <laughs> if, if only. I could, it would be fantastic, but I can't. So that's, that's why I love the idea of Bitcoin because I, I can do what I know how to do to earn myself a long-term investment, which is like really appealing. Yeah, I would love to get uh, be able to be to, to to get paid out in Tesla shares. <laughs> yeah, you know, get paid out in Tesla shares would be a whole different world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. Do you, so, how how easy did you find it was to make the account? It took me. I don't know. I made I made my my Kraken account and my Binance account in all of like fifteen minutes, and then I think it took like an hour to get verified or two hours or something like that. So right. I have the accounts now. I'm just waiting to waiting for these chart patterns on Bitcoin to kind of level out a little bit before I buy in. Right, 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 right. So it you, looks like something's going to happen. It's either going to snap down and then I'll buy or it's going to start trending back up and then I'll buy at that point. So I'm just going to wait and see. Right. And you planning to, are you going to use the same strategies you do with your, your day trading with equities with Bitcoin or? I think so. Yeah. Like, I was looking back, well, I'd asked you about it because you have a lot more experience day trading Bitcoin. Like a lot of the patterns and stuff I use are pretty like, I don't want to say like crazy time sensitive, but you know, like I know that something I see it. 10 o'clock in the morning is not going to be the same if I see it at noon, right? Like, because they, they play out differently based on volume and everything like that. So that's why I just asked you, you know, what, what time frames are you playing? What are you kind of looking for? And, 
you know, you said you had the best luck on the on the one hour time frame. So I just went to the one hour, opened up the chart, and I just kind of like looked back over the past few months and like I was seeing like you know clear as day all the kind of stuff that I would trade on the long and the short side. So I think it'll be pretty pretty easy to trade. And it was like you said, you know, I mean, like most of the trades I'm seeing, they're they're playing out over like a six to a twelve hour period. So I can you know I can get into a trade and I can go go work or you know go to sleep or whatever and actually set my stops, which you never do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, we, we're going to touch on that next episode, stops, because I do almost none of that, and I and I, and, I, and I know that's one area I, I should improve in. So, um, yeah, do you want to touch on that real quick? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a really important thing, especially I think for for day trading and investing. Um, like I know, you know, one of the biggest things that I, I like to always say is, you know, you can always get back in, right? I mean. Whether you're doing something long term, if you're if you're investing on the daily chart and you're in for a couple of weeks and all of a sudden you see something that you really don't like, you know, you can get out, you can buy back in 10 minutes later if, if it was just a fake out or whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. So I think that's really important to know is that, you know, people can get in and out. You got to know when to when to add to your position, you know, when to cut your losses, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, how to look for trade confirmation. Like there's certain trades that I'll do where, you know, I'll, I'll start at, you know, 20 percent size at a certain level. And then once. Once I see the confirmation on the trade, then I'll dump like 80% size onto it right after that, right? You know, like like one of the patterns I played uh, earlier this week, I posted on our Instagram. It was um, it was just like a pretty simple short off of the VWAP line, which is one of the indicators I mentioned in uh, our day trading episode. It's basically, you know, if it's below, it's it's pretty short heavy. If it's above, it's pretty long heavy. So like, you know, the chart would run out for a few days, tanked out of the open, and then it bounced back up. So what I've been doing in the in the past is you know, I would, I would, cause this is a pattern I've just kind of been tracking over the past few weeks, trying to get my short game up is I would wait for it to kind of perk through and I would short a little bit, you know, maybe like 10, 15, 20% or whatever on that push through the VWAP line. And then if I saw it reject and go back under, then I would just dump a whole bunch of size on it short risking off that previous high. Um, but I was kind of touch and go on that. Like sometimes, you know, like I had, I want to say I was about like 60% losses and you know, 40% wins on that setup, but like I always keep my losses small. So still making money on the play, but I was looking at, I'm thinking, you know, how, how am I going to get better at this? How can I, how can I make this work better for me? So basically what I started to do is I just, I didn't even try to get that initial starter size on because it's really only making me a couple bucks anyways, because the move I'm looking for is the next big leg down. So I would just wait and I would watch it. And instead of trying to get a little bit on the top, I would just ignore that, wait for it to go up, wait for the shove back under. And then as soon as it shoved back under, I know I could just throw a ton of size at it risk off that top and then just wait for the fade. And it, it worked out perfectly every time I did it. And it's, it's, you know, my, my dollar winnings have decreased by, you know, 5% on that trade, but my win percentage has gone up like almost double. So that's kind of, you know, it's, it's the same pattern, but it's just how you, how you go into it and how you, how you execute it can have a huge, huge impact on your profits and just on your mental state. You know, if I'm playing something and I'm, I'm losing 50% of the time, even though I'm only losing a couple bucks, it's still, you know, it still messes with your head. So the more times I can avoid that and just only have wins, the better. So I just think yeah, going, I, over, going over a lot of that stuff on, you know, on, on your end of things and on my end of things, I think it'll be really helpful because a lot of people don't really think about that. I don't think. That's awesome. Um, I'm excited for that because I have a problem. I don't have a problem sizing in, but I, ha I do have a problem sizing out. And I actually ran the numbers the other day. I'm losing about 35 to 40% upside because I tend to not size out. I just want to all out. And right. I tend to, and, I, and because I'm kind of a risk averse person, I tend to pull the trigger a little bit too early, a little bit, little bit too conservatively. Right. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to see that. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. 
it's always nice to size out because like like my rule of thumb is I, I always like to take a piece off wherever I'm going to be break even. So if I have, you know, if I have like a thousand shares or something, for example, and it goes up, you know, X amount of percentage or X cents or whatever, I'll take off, you know, 300 shares like right here, because that way I know if, if the rest of my 700 shares comes back down and hits my stop loss, I'm out for zero. Right. And right. then I can just let the rest of it go rather than hanging on to that and potentially taking a loss and just, you know, trying to make a couple extra bucks on the high end. Like as soon as I take that off, then I can I can just sit back and relax because I'm like, all right, this trade goes wrong and it hits my stop. Like I I I'm zero. I just got out for nothing, right? So okay. it just it just helps you kind of helps helps me anyways kind of relax a lot more when I get into trades. Nice. So, I'm excited for yeah. that. So um, yeah. So let's wrap up. Um, thanks for watching us again. We're gonna put some links below in the comments with the exchanges that we use and we have experiences for uh, with. So check for that and uh, yeah, like and subscribe. Cool. Thanks, guys.